I wanted to read something to you. It's really cool. So, you know, just listening to the testimony at Royal Family Kids Camp, uh, the foster care system in, in America, there, there are so many needs in the foster care system. You know, it, we don't have what we would call in the past orphanages in America. We don't have orphanages, uh, especially in California. It's more group homes, and then they're even moving away from that wanting to get into foster care. But, but foster parents alone can't do all of the work. And, and there's this opportunity that you have to kind of open up and to share those things with these, with these kids. Um, I used to work for a different ministry. And it was called Advent Group Ministries. And Advent was working with um, kids that were from the foster care system. And a lot of them were incarcerated for drugs and alcohol. Um, We had one uh, student. His name was Valentin. And Valentin was someone that Deanna and I at the time were praying about adopting because he had no family. Um, When he got out of uh, Advent, we were praying, Lord, should we adopt him? And then he found his sister. Uh, but we we continued to pour into his life and just uh, have this relationship with him over time. And he texted me on Wednesday. He calls me teach. So when you hear teach, that's me because I was his teacher. He says, I have, one, I have some of the greatest news, teach. I've been struggling really badly for uh, years to get my GED. Uh, Marilyn and I have prayed to God to help me to never give up on it. And even when I was ready to give up, God told me to keep going forward. Today, I received an email that I passed my GED. So yeah, that's great. He's 20, probably 28 years old now, 29 years old. Uh, he has three kids. He's married and, and just walking through the whole process with them over years. Um, what happened was he um, found this girl that, that uh, he really fell in love with and then they moved and it was real shaky, had a lot of ups and downs. Um, he... He got a little bit in trouble with the law again, but he got back up because he had a relationship with the Lord. And um, now they're married and they serve. You know what they do is uh, they're getting ready to gear up for vacation Bible school for their church. And now he and his wife are serving in that capacity. Um, but you, you don't know the kind of impact that you're going to have on someone's life. And this morning we were praying about missions and we were we're really kind of looking at praying for the missionaries that we support as a church uh, in Peru, in the Philippines, El Salvador, but also locally. You know, there's the Pregnancy Resource Center, there's Teen Challenge, there's a Royal Family Kids Camp. So we as a body of Christ support some of these other ministries as well. So this morning at 9 o'clock, it's a, a prayer time just this morning focusing on missions. But I really wanted us to understand this, that all of us are called to be missionaries to have an impact and reach other people wherever we are in whatever capacity that that we're in so whether that would be people that we work with they're not just co-workers whether that would be at a school they're not just classmates whether they would be neighbors they're not just neighbors that god has placed us in the context of our family and our our living situation and where we are for a particular reason those are the people that god wants us to reach And so as we have started January, just kind of looking at uh, abiding in Christ, uh, this morning I wanted to focus on not only abiding in Christ and what God has done for us, but then when it comes to mission and what God has called us to do, how we respond to the gospel, not only by receiving the gift of grace that God has given to us, but then also, Lord, how can you use us? And so the title of the message this morning is The Church unified and the church edified so unified and edified um i'm gonna let you know in the back if you guys could run the slides today that would be great because somehow i'm logged off on my my ipad generation one (laughs) so i also want to let you know next sunday don mcclure is going to be here he's going to be teaching i'm super excited about that so come on out he was my pastor in san jose um like I said last week, he's uh, one of the wisest, if not the wisest person I've ever met, uh, ever, and not just met, you know, sometimes you can meet someone and go, wow, that person's wise, but over the years, um, just so much wisdom that, that comes from Don McClure, so I'm excited about that. But open up your Bible this morning to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, I'm super glad you're with us this morning, and if you're visiting Uh, If you don't have a Bible, in the back of the seats, there's Bibles where you could follow along. And uh, we are going to read in Ephesians chapter, actually Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And um, 
before I, I read, I'm going to let you know, I'm going to read this. Uh, when I do a study, I use either the New King James or the NASB or the ESV. Those are kind of my study Bibles. But a lot of times when I'm just reading, I like to read the NLT, New Living Translation. I'm going to read this out of the NLT because of the flow of thought. But then we're, we're going to come back to the New King James when I'm looking at individual words. So I'm just going to read this, Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse 9, notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascends higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. All right, so this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, um, real important to understanding Ephesians chapter 4 is a simple concept. It comes after Ephesians 1 through 3, okay? Now, Ephesians 1 through 3 is about our identity in Christ. It is about what Christ has done for us and, and our redemption, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, not, not of ourselves, because we have no reason to boast. There's nothing to, to brag about, like God saved me because I'm better than everyone else or because I'm better than these people. Oh, God saved me because I have these incredible gifts. No, God saved us because of his grace and love. So whenever we read these letters by Paul the Apostle, the epistles, he always begins by focusing on what God has done for us, because if we get chapters four through six before one through three, then what we think is we're doing for God and he loves us because we're doing for God. The opposite is actually true. God loves us and what he's done for us makes us go, man, I, I, I'm not worthy, I'm not deserving, but God has done these things for me. Therefore, I wanna live my life in response to what he's done for me. So when Paul begins in Ephesians 4, 1 with, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, the therefore reminds us to ask, what is it therefore? And it's because of all of the things that God has done for us. So because of what God has done for Paul, he considers himself a prisoner of the Lord, captivated by God, um, constrained by God, like this literal giving himself over as a bondservant to the Lord. So he says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. That's Paul's identity. You know, when I think about being a prisoner of the Lord, um, I, th I think it's important to realize that Paul could have chosen another term, maybe more uh, a, a more attractive term. He could have chosen a, a more politically correct term. But he says, no, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And I want to let you know that if you're a prisoner of the Lord, then you understand that if you've ever tried to not serve the Lord, you've ever tried to go your own way, 
okay? Because you've already been saved by God. He's already shown you his love and you've received him and you've tasted of that goodness, but then you've tried to walk away and do your own thing. You are absolutely miserable. You're miserable because there's no joy in it. You're miserable because you know that you're being totally self-centered. You're miserable because you know it's all about you. And so as a prisoner of the Lord, Paul is, is constrained by the love of Christ. And so as a prisoner of the Lord, he writes to the, the Christians, to the church in Ephesus, and he says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, because of all that God has done for me, beg you or beseech of you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. To walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. Because of what God has done for us, um, how many of you have seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? Have you guys seen that movie? It's a very, very intense movie. There is a, a scene at the end of the movie, I'm not going to give the whole thing away, but there's a, a scene where there is a man that is standing at Arlington National Cemetery. And as he's standing there, he's at a grave marker. And he's looking at this this grave marker. And he's there with his wife and he's there with his kids and his grandkids. And, and they're looking at him, they're saying, Grandpa, you know, and, and he, he knows some of these people where he's there at their, at their gravesite. And he, he stands there and he just starts weeping. His shoulders start shaking and he's sobbing. And, and uh, his wife is trying to comfort him and he looks over at his wife. And he says, honey, tell me, tell me I've been a good man. Have I been a good man? Have I been a good father? She's like, honey, you've been a great man. You've been a great father. Why do you, why do you say that? And what he realizes is because he's standing at the grave of someone who gave his life for him. So in order for him to live, this person died. And he lives the rest of his life trying to live a worthy life so that these people did not die in vain, so that so that he didn't waste his life. And at the end of his life, he can say, you know, have I, have I done a good job at living this life that I, that I live? And I think for those of us that are believers, those of us that are Christians, that's why we try to walk a walk that is worthy of what Christ has done. Because every time we come to a cross, every time we come to, to Easter and Good Friday, we remember the crucifixion and the resurrection, every song that we sing, every... Bible passage that there's this theme that God is the one that has redeemed us, that Jesus has died for our sins, and now we live life out of gratitude, not trying to earn approval. And so how do we live this worthy walk according to our calling? And by the way, when it comes to that calling, how many people are miserable today because they don't have a calling? If, if you don't know what you're called to, if you don't have a, a calling in your life, something that, that you want to do to impact other people's lives, then I'll tell you that life kind of gets kind of boring after a while. Not only does it get boring, even more than that, it gets depressing. If we're not having an impact that is something beyond us, then all it's about is like, hey, how many toys do I have? How nice is my house? How good are my things? And you know, after a while, that doesn't fulfill and then there's always this sense of, of depression because like, what is life really about? And, and I think it's important this morning that we understand that God has called us not only to walk with him and to know him, but then to make an impact on the people around us. And part of that worthy walk is to walk in unity. Now, this is what it says in verse two, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Now, why do we need long suffering to walk a worthy walk and to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Well, number one, we don't walk alone. Okay, as, as Christians, uh, we're, not, we're not in this thing by ourselves. We, we have a way in our culture today that says, your faith is what? Private. You ever hear that? In the political arena today, with uh, debates and people, this is, this is a mantra. My faith is private has no bearing on me as a politician or leader. It doesn't affect anything that I do as a, a, a leader. That's terrible. Okay, that, that's a terrible philosophy. 
Or, or you hear people sometimes that say that, you know, they're in entertainment or whatever. They, my, my faith is private. That's just me. It, it doesn't affect what I do. You know what Paul said? To live is Christ and to die is gain. So he affects everything that we do. And because he affects everything that we do, we bear with one another in love. We have this long suffering because we don't walk alone. Because Christ bears with us in love. So now he tells us to do this together. So we walk this walk together. And if you have a private walk where you don't share what you're learning and you don't share your struggles and trials and no one else is sharing with you what they're learning and they're not sharing their struggles and trials, then your, your walk is going to be very weak because God wants us to walk together. So we bear with one another in love. And by the way, when it comes to bearing with one another in love, there's a reason why it's called uh, bearing with one another in love. We're not just bearing with one another. Do you bear with people? Do you, do you put up with people that um, you work with or that you go to school with? Do you put up with people that are family members or friends? You just put up with it. Oh, okay, I've just got to put up with it. He doesn't say just bear with it. He says bear with it in love. So we should still love those people that it's hard to bear with them in love. You know, love is not just this flighty emotion where if I don't feel it, then I I don't really love. No, love means sometimes we put up with things and we bear with one another in love even when we're struggling to do that. And I wanna let you in on a little secret. When you're struggling to bear with other people in love, they're struggling to bear with you in love also. So don't think it's like a one-way deal, like you're just putting up with everyone else because believe me, there's people putting up with us also. So in verse three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So again, when it comes to the church unified and then the church edified, unified and then edified, when we're unified, that unity comes because of the spirit of God. So we're to endeavor, we're to make every attempt to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I didn't meet any of you before I came here. You know, I, I knew a few of you before, but, but if I go back my history in San Jose, going back right around to 1997 when we moved up here, I didn't know anyone here before 1997, not a single person. But when I came to Christ, at whatever age I came to Christ, and you came to Christ, whenever you came to Christ, immediately we're unified in the spirit. That's why I could travel to China, which I have on a, a mission trip, and met other Christians there, and I've never met them, and we speak different languages, but immediately we are in unity. What God calls us to do is to keep that unity. Okay, we're unified as Christians by default because as, as Pastor Bill prayed, we're baptized in Christ. We, we are both saved by Christ. We're all, we're all in that same body. But now we have to endeavor to keep that unity. What breaks down unity that God has, has given to us? What, what breaks it down? Pride. Pride breaks down unity. Selfishness. Not bearing with one another in love. Not ha- be having patience with one another. That, that just breaks down unity. Because we're to, have, we're to keep that unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It, it doesn't, that bond of peace, it doesn't mean that it's an absence of conflict. Um, if you have conflict with friends, and then as soon as you have conflict with friends, you leave, you won't have any friends. Because every person you're going to have conflict with. And I think that sometimes Christians can, can have this mindset when it comes to the church. This is important. This is, this is very, very important. Conflict is a part of human existence because as human beings, we go through conflict. Now, I understand that there's levels of it. I understand that sometimes you try to reconcile with someone and it's not possible or some conflicts you can't resolve, but but we're to try to resolve those things in the bond of peace. And if we are going to resolve those things in the bond of peace, if you have something against me or I have something against you or you have something against another brother or sister in Christ, what should you do? 
How do we keep the unity and the bond of peace? Number one, pray and thank God for forgiving you. Because too many times we're so bent out of shape by someone that has hurt us, said something to us, offended us, didn't say thank you to us, didn't say hi to us, and we're so bent out of shape. And yet think about how much God has forgiven in me. That's the, that's the thing that keeps me back. It, it brings me back to grace. Because too many times, grace is, they don't really deserve grace. Isn't that the definition of grace? Because grace is what we don't deserve, right? It's unmerited, it's undeserved. So some, sometimes we think, I'm not gonna give them grace, they don't deserve it. But that's what grace is. We're to give grace to those that are undeserving. And when we do that and we realize that God has given his grace to us, it helps us to keep the unity in the bond of peace. Let me tell you the second thing to do in the conflict is not only to thank God for forgiving you, but then the next thing is pray for the person. Sometimes when people are hurt or they're, they're struggling, you know, there's a, a level, um, you've heard this phrase before that hurt people, hurt people, right? People that are hurting sometimes hurt other people. They lash out. Maybe you've heard it before, you know, it's like, there's a there's someone at work and you know he's at is at work and uh, his boss yells at him because his boss yelled at him and then he yells at his employees and then and then he comes home and then he gets in an argument with his wife and then she gets in an argument with the son and and gets mad at the son and the son you know he hits his sister and the sister goes out and kicks the dog you know just like it's this trail that just keeps going and I, I see it happen sometimes I see it happen and I gotta I gotta stop it because sometimes I realize. Man, I'm mad right now, but I'm not really mad at you. I'm mad at something else. There's something else that's kind of going on. And all of those things, if we're mindful of those things, keeping the unity in the spirit of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then he gives us the reason why we're unified in the spirit in verse four. Because there is one body and one spirit. So Regeneration Church this morning is a local... A manifestation of the body of Christ. But let me tell you that um, next weekend, we're going to a men's retreat at Redwood Christian Park. And we get there, there's probably about 18 other churches that are going to meet with us, uh, men from about 18 other churches. But you know what? We're one body. But then you know what? If I drive down the street and I see another church and I realize, hey, if they're born again, if they believe in Christ as their Lord and Savior and they, they follow the Bible and they believe that we're saved by grace and our, our sins are taken care of on the cross and Jesus has risen again, then, then I need to realize that that is part of the same body. The church is much bigger than just a local small part of it now this is important to realize that there are local congregations there are um manifestations of the body of christ with a, a local group of people that we call a community or, or a church but the church is much bigger there's one body and there's one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling so we have different aspects of our calling but it's the same hope and it's the same calling one Lord, we have one Lord, Jesus Christ. We have one faith. Um, there are people of other faiths that we should love and have respect for and have tolerance for, but it is not one faith with people of another faith. That is really important to understand. I, I could love someone and I could even, even respect them, but have absolutely antithetical beliefs to their beliefs. The word tolerance in 2016 in America, it's taken on a different definition than it had in the past because tolerance is really um, showing charity and putting up with people, even if they're different. And we're all called to do that. God has called us to do that. That's love in 1 Corinthians 13, the definition of it. But tolerance does not mean that your beliefs are equal to my beliefs. And I think that that's kind of what people are saying now, is it's kind of like, well, all beliefs, you know, it's all one, one belief. It's all one God. It's not one God. I mean, we believe in one God, but there's other people from other religions. That's a different God. And they say, well, uh, you know, it, Allah, it's the same God. 
He's not the same God. Okay, there's only one God, which is the Lord God, the true God. And, and there's false gods that are out there. So if, you, if, if that is new to you, don't be offended by it as much as do the research and talk to me about it. Don't, don't say, well, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm offended by that. I'm going to go, well, search out the scriptures. And not only the scriptures, check out history. And you realize that it is two totally different religions. So when, when Paul is saying this unity, one of the things he is not saying is that everyone has the same equal faith. The one faith is the faith that he talked about in Ephesians chapters one through three. It's all about what Christ has done for us and who he is. So there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Again, we're, we're baptized in Christ. There is one God and Father who is um, above all and through all and in you all. That's when we, we could realize that the unity that we have in Orthodox Christianity means that there are some open-handed issues. There are people that I, um, good friends of mine that I fellowship with, that I, I, I spend time with, that we talk to each other, that they have different beliefs as far as some of the non-essential issues and doctrines of the Bible. Um, I have a good friend that we debate about. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't really debate, you know, we just talk. We just talk about like, um, eschatology and end times timeline things. We talk about spiritual gifts. There's differences, but you know what? He's a great brother in Christ and I have you know, many brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. There's differences. The unity that Paul is talking about here are the closed-handed issues though. And the closed-handed issues are the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. And that's where it is absolutely important that we understand these things. I just want to encourage you, as a church, we want to be a church that is more than a religious social club. We want to be a church that is on mission, doing the things that Christ has called us to do. But we also want to be a thinking, intelligent church that studies the scriptures. Don't think that doctrine and theology, that's for PhDs. That's for pastors, theologians. No, doctrine is belief and all of us need to know doctrine because if we don't know doctrine how do you know if what i'm saying is even true if we don't study doctrine then what are we basing our faith on is it just feeling is it just based on hey kind of my opinion no i need to i need to study the word of god to show myself approved and to know what it says and to know is this bible reliable let me, let me tell you that there are, are many other, there are many religions and then there are, are cults that will never say, check out, check out the book that we're studying and look at historical proofs and try to see if this book is authentic. I just want to challenge you to do that. Because if you're not a Christian, you're, you're going to become a Christian probably by, by doing that. You know, you think about Lee Strobel, different people like um, Josh McDowell, these incredible skeptics, C.S. Lewis, they came to Christ because they started studying scripture and realizing, no, this is a supernatural book. Its authenticity is, is unquestionable. So doctrine is something that is very important. That is not for like smart people. You know, doctrine is not like, oh, those, that's for thinkers. I'm more of a feeler. <laughs> well, what are you feeling, you know? Like, like, what is your feeling based on? Unless it's based on something that is true. So in verse seven, this unity uh, it comes also because each one of us is given grace. God gave us grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. So God gave each one of us grace. Again, remember, it's not deserved. If, if God were to say, why should I allow you into heaven? Why should I let you into my kingdom? Why, at the end of your life, why should I be able to come in and, and have fellowship with God? And if my answer is, well, you know what, it's because I, I, you know, I went to church, I'm a good person, none of those things hold water. It's, it's because I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I trust him. My faith is exercised. I put my faith in Christ. It's not even my faith in myself or my abilities. And when we have that grace, according to the measure that Christ has given, it says, Therefore, when he ascended on high, Jesus rose again. He led um, 
captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. And verse 9 says, now this he ascended. What does it mean? That he also first descended to the lower parts of earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. It's a quote uh, from Psalm 68, 18. And Paul is quoting it here. And what he's saying is that God came down to earth. Jesus came down to us. We were in captivity. He came to set us free. And then he ascended again. And when he ascended, what did he do? He gave gifts to us. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The spiritual gifts that he has given to us. And then Paul goes into starting to show what these gifts are or some of these offices within the church. So now we've looked at the church unified, and now we're going to look at the church edified in verses 11 through 16. These ministry offices, uh, it's been called the fivefold ministry of the Holy Spirit or these offices, but, but let's just look at some of these things. It says in verse 11, he himself gave. So one of God's gifts is that he gave certain people to the body of Christ, to the church. He gave some to be apostles. Now, an apostle, what is an apostle? An apostle is, is a, a messenger of the gospel, someone that testifies of the risen Christ. The original apostles um, were witnesses of the resurrection. Okay, so they, they physically saw Jesus rise again. Paul the apostle, he... Um, encountered jesus on the road to damascus remember when he was converted in acts chapter 9 so those apostles had a certain authority when they wrote letters we got bible when paul wrote a letter to a, a guy named timothy you know someone that he was discipling and mentoring it became bible why because he was inspired by the holy spirit and because paul was an apostle if i wrote a letter to you that does not become Bible, <laughs> you know? That, that's not like, oh, let's get the letter. Let's bring the letter out. Oh, let's see what Matt has written. He has written to me. Oh, look it. And this also applies, pass the letter around. You know, give the letter to other, no, no, it's just, it's just a letter, right? But when the apostles wrote the letters, it became Bible. So we read the Bible and we realize these are letters that these people that were inspired by the Holy Spirit had written. So these apostles that God gave, the closest thing to an apostle today, you, you might think of maybe um, someone that has an influence that is beyond a local congregation, like a Billy Graham. Billy Graham would be somewhat of a modern day apostle, but not an apostle like the Bible apostles. Because he, he wasn't there when Jesus rose from the dead. And even when Billy Graham writes books, that's not Bible, okay? That's, that's a book, but this is, this is the Bible, okay? So... But there are apostles that God has given. Next, there are prophets. Again, you have um, today in the body of Christ, these gifts, the way that they're exercised, the prophetic gift, if I'm teaching, and, and there are times that I'll say something, and, and off the top of my head, not in my notes, I'll, I'll use an example. Someone will come up to me after the service and they'll say, hey, you know what, that spoke direct, that's exactly what I'm going through. Sometimes people think that I'm trying to tell them something. I just, I'm not dropping any hints here, all right? I'm not like, okay, I know your situation. I'm gonna drop this hint on you right now. You know, it, it, it's not like that. But the prophetic gift, sometimes when, when that happens, it's like God uses the word to speak to people, but not like a biblical prophet, Biblical prophet says, thus saith the Lord, and they predict the future as well. And when they do that, if they don't, if it doesn't come through, then, you know, in the Old Testament, they would take rocks and start throwing it at them, right? Because, because he was a, called a, a false prophet. So we have to understand that in some of these, these ways that these gifts are exercised today, there doesn't mean the Old Testament uh, prophet the way that we see prophets, but, but there is that prophetic gift. There's a gift of authority that when someone teaches, it's more than just a lecturer, more than just an academic study in a Bible college. But the Holy Spirit is doing this work so that when the word goes out, that there are people that are receiving that. And then there are other times when, when maybe you just feel like prompted. And, and this is what I, I tell people. When 
God prompts me to say something to someone, and I really think that it's from the Lord. I don't get into prophetic voice. I don't say, thus saith the Lord. You know, and then I don't like change my tone and say, God has said, you know, I'm really careful with that. But you know what I do say? I, God put this on my heart. I wanted to share this with you. And the Holy Spirit will either confirm it or, or not confirm it. But, but don't be afraid of sharing those things with other people that you don't know what it's for. You're not exactly sure or, or you're just like, God, is that really you? Just open it up and share. You know, I had one, one of my uh, good friends in college that, man, I, it was very awkward, very, very strange. It was between classes, and I just felt like there was something that God prompted me to talk to him about. So I didn't say, hey, I know this about you. I just started talking to him about this topic and just saying, hey, you know what, these are, these are things that we can't mess with as Christians. And, and he just starts opening up about he's going through that exact thing. And I'm like, you know what, I've been praying and I, didn't, I wanted to share this with you. I was kind of feeling hesitant, but I just really felt like God wanted me to share that with you. So that prophetic gift, it's needed to build up the body of Christ. It's needed to share. We don't have this private faith. As Christians, we don't have this private thing where we just keep our faith to ourselves. Otherwise, no one else is going to be built up and strengthened and edified, right? And I'm not going to be built up and strengthened and edified. Man, we had an elders meeting last week. I was so blessed by the men in the, the church that are elders that, that were speaking some things that God had, had kind of collectively shared with them for me. And I just received it like, okay. And, and one of them, uh, Tony, it was funny. Tony said, he goes, are you, are you shaking your head yes, but in your mind you're screaming no? And I said, half. You know, <laughs> half, half, yes, I'm receiving half, I'm screaming no, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm understanding, yeah, that's from the Lord. We, we have to be able to receive from other people. If we don't receive from other people, we're not going to grow. We're going to be stunted in our growth. And that goes back to unified, lowly, gentle. When we're lowly and gentle, we're able to receive that from other people, but let me tell you that when we're low, lowly and gentle, we're also able to give that to other people. One of the reasons that I was receptive to the things that the elders were saying is that it was a blessing to me to realize that they are humble and seeking the Lord and want to hear from God. No, there's not a, a power struggle. And you know, in, in the church edified and the church unified, there can't be a jealousy over different giftings within the body of Christ. There cannot be um, a leveling up of, oh, you, you got pastor because you, you're varsity. You know, <laughs> you, got, you, got, you got pastor because, you know, you put in your time and you did all the, it's a gift. I didn't do anything to earn this gift. It's a gift. God gave me this gift. And the gifts that God has given to you as a, as a, a, a Christian those are gifts, not just for yourself. They're gifts so that you could use them to bless others. You have a gift of building? Build for the kingdom of God and, and for his glory. You have a gift of hospitality? Then hospital for the glory of God and you know, for his kingdom and to bless other people. Like you have those gifts. Um, the gift of helps? Then help. Gift of teaching? Then teach. A gift of pastor, then pastor. Gift of singing, then whatever those gifts are. So there are evangelists. Now let me say, I am praying right now for evangelists to be raised up. I believe that there are many people, many more people in the body of Christ today that have the gift of evangelism. But maybe they just see it as Billy Graham or Greg Laurie or Harvest Crusade or these things. An evangelist sometimes... Sometimes the greatest evangelists are, are people that just get to know other people and are genuinely concerned and share the love of Christ with them. Man, I have a, I have a buddy that's a, a business guy, um, venture capitalist, invests, starts businesses, and then he spins them out, and then he leaves and starts another business, and then he gets that business going, and then he leaves. It, it blows me away. He used to invite people to church. And I, I, would, I would just start to meet people within the church. Oh, how'd you come to know Christ? Oh, you know, and, and it was this person that probably, probably had led maybe 15 to 20 people 
that were at the church in Gilroy as a result of this guy's faith and him sharing. And he was not working at a church and he was not a pastor and he was not a teacher. He's a business venture capitalist. But as he would just share his life, they started to get to know him because they wanted to get rich. You know, they started to get to know him because like they wanted to follow his, his business protocol and his, his business acumen. But then they started seeing that his, he, he just had these priorities right. And, and then they started asking him about these priorities and he was just straightforward with them. Oh, it's because of Jesus. He didn't say God generic. He didn't say faith. He said, it's because of Jesus. Whoa, I didn't take you as a Jesus person. And he would just begin to share with them. And they realized, wow, you could be a venture capitalist and be a Jesus guy. And then people started coming to Christ. God has called evangelists. And if you have that gift, let it just be free to exercise that gift. And don't allow the political correctness of the day to shut you down by saying, oh, I'm supposed to keep this all to myself. It's a private thing. God did not call us to make this a private thing. God has called us to make disciples and to preach the gospel. And all of us, all of us as Christians are called to evangelize, but some people have a special gift of evangelism. And what if you don't have that gift? You're not off the hook. <laughs> if you don't have that gift, you're like, I don't have the gift. You know what you, you're called to do? You're called to pray for people and to love them, to invite them to church and to share your testimony with them. Share your own story. Just start somewhere, sharing about how God has worked in your own life. And then pastors and teachers. God has, has called pastors and teachers. I'm praying for more pastors and teachers to be raised up, to spread out not only the work that is here, there is so much more work that needs to be done. There, you know, when, when I, I think about our, our Santa Cruz County, the Bay Area, uh, another report just came out in U.S. News and World Report maybe last month. Bay Area, the fourth least churched area in the United States of America. So you have this area of Connecticut was number one. Manhattan, this area of New York was like number two. I can't remember what area was number three, and then we're number four. There are needs to plant churches. There are needs to, to reach out. There are needs for evangelism. And, and again, it's not this, people in our, in our county will say spiritual but not religious. You know what? What an open door. If someone tells you that they're spiritual but not religious, say, oh, that's, that's great, neither am I. And they'll look at you like, what? And say, well, I'm not religious in a sense of the way that, you know, world religion, like I'm just following a mantra or, or a set of like, you know, principles. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Like open that up. Let, let them share. If they share that they're spiritual but not religious, go, wow, that's awesome. Because, you know, being a spiritual person, let me tell you about Jesus who I follow. And just share, just open it up and just see how the Lord leads that. So there are pastors and, and there are teachers. Notice, my role as a pastor, a pastor's role, a teacher's role is to do what? It says in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? New Orleans, right? No, the saints are you guys and me and any of us that are Christians. Uh, by the way, sainthood is not the same sainthood that we think of sainthood, like, that like we got a, a statue named after us, you know? I, I saw this one, it was St. Uh, Boniface, and uh, my mom started laughing because I, I read it, St. Boniface. I didn't know what it was. I was like, St. Boniface? I never heard of that one. She's like, it's Boniface, St. Boniface. I was like, oh, I never heard of that one. But I, I understand that there are certain people in the body of Christ, like we just celebrated Valentine's Day. There was a St. Valentine. You know, we, we think about St. Augustine, early church fathers. But all of us, saint is a, a, a holy one. And we're, we're not holy because like, oh, you know, I, I do, you know, Gregorian chant and that makes me holy. I'm holy because Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. I'm holy because of my position in Christ. And so it's for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, without a asking you to share right now, but I just want you to ask this question. Where are you working? Where are you working in God's field? What are you, what are you doing to 
not only strengthen the body of Christ, but then to reach out to people that don't know Jesus. Because all of us should be active in that. Do not think that church is the place where you come and you sit. This is equipping. This is the huddle. And what do you do after a huddle? You execute a play, right? You say break and then you go, unless you're the 49ers, you just keep getting penalized and you just keep going back and back. But I don't want to do that and just keep going back and back and back, right? We want to huddle, break the huddle, go up to the line, execute a play and do something about it. So there's something that God wants you to do with the message. And I, I, would, I would say that it has something to do with your, your burdens and your desires and your giftings. Where is your heart touched with the needs in your community around you? Where is your heart touched by the needs around you in this world? Then what are your skills and what are your gifts and what are your resources and how can God utilize those things? Because it's for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Until when, verse 13, till we uh, all come to unity of the faith And the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we're not there yet. We're growing in that maturity. So how we work as a unified team, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Man, I I pray for... I pray for you guys that we wouldn't be deceived by, you know, these, these cunning, deceitful types of teachings that are out there. Not everyone on television is bad. But I have to say that because we assume everyone, I mean, but there are a lot of bad apples that are out there. There's a lot of false doctrine. There's a lot of, Christianity culturally today that is all about self-actualization. It's all about me, my perfect, happy um, life in which nothing hinders me and I could do whatever I want and God is obligated to bless me because I've said a prayer. No, God is a blessing God. He loves us. He wants to bless us, but it's not about me. It's about him. And so don't be, don't be, tossed to and fro about every doctrine doctrine read the word of god um if you read the word of god from monday through saturday on your own it will do more for your spiritual life than being here for an hour and a half on sundays let me repeat that if you read your bible you pray on monday through saturday that will do more for your spiritual life than being here on Sundays. You gotta be a self-feeder. You have to be one that opens up scriptures for yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. And then speaking the truth in love. So we don't just speak truth and we don't just have love. We speak the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. Jesus is the head and as a unified team, and an edify team, we need to know who is the head. Sometimes I understand what people mean when they, when they find out that I'm a pastor. They say, oh, you're church. And I understand that. Okay, yeah, that is my church. It's the church I belong to. But it's, it's Jesus' church. There's no question that he's the head of the church. And we always have to come back to that. And then when we speak the truth in love, if we're not speaking the truth in love, as a family, if you speak the truth but love is not your motivation, you create hurt and shame. In church, if we speak the truth but not in love, you create hurt, shame, and legalism. A a church that just teaches the truth, Westboro Baptist, maybe you guys have heard of them. Okay, they they say some things that are true. A lot of them are are false, but, but they say some true things, but it's not in love. And you know what? It just creates division and and it just creates shame and and legalism. I close with verse 16 from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, every one of us, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And this is when we're edifying one another. We're all growing together. We're giving, we're serving. Let us not become a consumer uh, group of people, 
but let us be missionaries. Consumers, what's in it for me? Missionaries, where can I give and where can I serve? That's how Jesus is glorified. If we have a church that is unified and a church that is edified, the last point, Jesus is glorified. That's what Jesus prayed for us in John chapter 17. He prayed that we would be one even as he and the Father are one. And as we do that, God is glorified. Jesus is glorified through us. Now, as a part of the body where every part does it, you know, every member does its part, don't be the appendix, all right? <laughs> you think, like, what part am I? Don't be the appendix. Because uh, they always say, what does an appendix do? I don't know. It's just there. <laughs> well, I just know if the appendix goes bad, it explodes and there's poison that comes out. And there's some people that are like that in churches. They're like that person that sits there and they don't really do anything. But man, when something goes bad, poison comes out and it hurts everyone else. Don't be the appendix. Be a part of the body that functions as part of the body. Amen? Lord, we want to thank you that when we serve, it's not because we're trying to earn your love. But Father, we, we want to respond to what you've already done for us. God, I, I pray that you would help us not to be indifferent towards one another. Lord, help us not to think of a church as any other group of people. Lord, this place is not like a, a, a concert where we're sitting next to other people in a concert hall. Father, this, this place is not like a, a lecture hall in a, a college where we're just getting information dissemination. We're sitting next to people that we may or may not know, but we're just sitting in class. No, Lord, remind us that this is the body of Christ. Remind us, Lord, that we are not to be apathetic towards other people that are rejoicing or towards other people that are hurting. And then, Lord, I pray that as, a, as a, a people that is called to follow you, that you would give us a heart to reach the lost. God, give us opportunities not only to serve. Father, not only to feed people that are hungry or visit people or be involved in a charity, but, Lord, help us to share the gospel. God, help us not to just serve in word, but also in deed. So we thank you and we pray that as we worship you now, that you would remind us of what you've done for us. And we focus on that, Lord, that we would be motivated. We would be released to do the things that you've called us to. So Jesus, right now, I pray that you would release those gifts amongst your people to be used for your glory. God, for those that are timid, Lord, for those maybe that have just been caught up in their own goals. God, help us to be free to do the things that you've called us to do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.